Thank you once again for this invitation to uh, bring God's word to you from behind this pulpit. It's an honor. I don't think I've been here to preach before. Uh, so it's an honor and something I don't take lightly. I invite you to join me in a prayer of illumination. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Emmanuel, God with us, we ask you to remain near us, to speak to us through your word. May the words on these pages and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God. May you speak through this, for if you don't speak, we don't hear anything good. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. It is good to be with you this morning and to also share gratitude for your support of Guelph Campus Ministry, as Pastor Tom mentioned. It is your CRC Campus Ministry to the University of Guelph because you support us through your prayers and also through your classical ministry shares. It is a wonderful and innovative way of supporting shared missions together. I'm grateful for you. I invite you to have your Bibles or Bible apps open throughout my message, as we'll be kind of diving in and out of the scripture passage, which is Lamentations 5. And I will read that momentarily after a little bit of an introduction. But I invite you to keep the scripture open in front of you. As a CRC campus minister at the University of Guelph, I spend most of my working hours with university students. So it is understandable then that when I connect with churches and classes like yourselves, I'm often asked about what the young adults I work with think about church. Or more often, I'm asked with concern why young adults these days may not be filling our sanctuaries or attending our live streams on Sunday mornings. When I put these questions to both my own peers and the young adults in our campus ministry, they are usually glad to share their reflections. In recent years, the most common response when I pose this question to university students has been some version of the following. I am looking for a Christian community where people are real, where they are authentic, where I can be vulnerable, where there is clear evidence of wonder at God's good creation and also a wrestling with injustice and brokenness, a freedom to be sad and to lament all the pain I am surrounded by in my life and in this world. If church folks and worship services seem only happy and nice and everything's great, then I wonder if I can belong with them. Since I am very aware of my own personal brokenness, and I'm overwhelmed by all that is wrong with this world every time I look at the news app or my Instagram feed on my phone. Let's be honest, it's not just young adults. I imagine most of us have probably asked the following question at some point. Can I bring all of myself, including my pain and my sadness, my confusion or doubt, to God and to a church community? Last year, as I planned our COVID-safe campus ministry programming alongside our three student interns, we discerned that we should offer one Zoom Bible study on lament. 
and another Zoom Bible study on the story of Scripture. In the Story of Scripture group, we read big chunks of the Old Testament out loud together, placing each passage within the larger narrative of Scripture, which we articulated as wonder, lament, and redemption. This morning, I chose the text of Lamentations 5 to engage with the second movement of this story, lament. Though lament is a frequent motif throughout the Bible, we don't often experience lament in our worship services, or especially in our worship songs, at least not nearly as often as we express praise and gratitude. In our campus ministry's overlapping Bible studies on lament and the story of scripture last semester, we discovered that more than 40% of the Psalms are lament Psalms. And the biblical witness includes many books and sections of lament, including Lamentations and Job. The Bible gives us many examples of God's people lamenting. So what is lament then? According to the dictionary, to lament is to express sorrow, mourning, or regret. A lament, as a prayer or a form of writing, is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. And in both cases, lament implies the expression of overwhelming emotion, a demonstration of sorrow and sadness and confusion. Biblical laments are more than simply complaints, though. Biblical laments nearly always include reminders of God's faithfulness and an underlying hope. In addition, laments are not only for those of us who are in the midst of suffering to express our sorrow. They are also a tangible way that all of us can express solidarity with those who are suffering. Laments can be individual, personal, from the speaker to God. Like the words of Jesus on the cross from the opening lines of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Other times laments are collective, voiced by a community, crying out to God together. This morning's passage is an example of a community coming together to cry out to God. And through our reading of Lamentations 5, we can start to respond to the question echoed earlier by young adults. Can we bring all of ourselves, including our pain, our loss, and our confusion, to God and to each other? Before we read our text, let's start with a little bit of background to Lamentations 5. It's probably not a book that you read regularly in your evening devotions. One commentator on the book of Lamentations describes it as an emotionally raw heartfelt, poetic response to a national tragedy and unspeakable suffering. The five poems that make up the Book of Lamentations reflect the desperate conditions experienced by a remnant of God's people who remain in Jerusalem, their capital city, following the invasion of the Babylonians and the destruction of both Jerusalem and the temple around 597 to 580 BC. In this fifth chapter poem, we hear the communal voice of the survivors of the exile, the remnant in the decimated Jerusalem, in a structured communal prayer of lament. <clears throat> in this final poem, 
this whole community enters the conversation and together they voice both their complaints and their hope for restoration in a final plea speaking directly to the Lord. So now we will read today's text, Lamentations 5. Remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become fatherless. Our mothers are widows. We must buy the water we drink. Our wood can be had only at a price. Those who pursue us are at our heels. We are weary and find no rest. We submitted to Egypt and Assyria to get enough bread. Our ancestors sinned and are no more, and we bear their punishment. Slaves rule over us, and there is no one to free us from their hands. We get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword in the desert. Our skin is hot as an oven, feverish from hunger. Women have been violated in Zion and virgins in the towns of Judah. Princes have been hung up by their hands. Elders are shown no respect. Young men toil at the millstones. Boys stagger under loads of wood. The elders are gone from the city gate. The young men have stopped their music. Joy is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our hearts are faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, with jackals prowling over it. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. That is the last verse of the book of Lamentations. That is where it ends. But this chapter begins with another appeal to the Lord to look and to see his people's suffering. See verse one again. Remember, O Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. Then the bulk of this chapter consists of a description of the intense suffering and shame of the survivors in Jerusalem. A description of the what that the people insist the Lord must see. Let's take a deeper look at verse two as just one example of the upheaval, the radical reversal that the Israelite survivors experienced through the Babylonian exile and occupation. In Israel's previous social and economic reality, the land as a whole was spoken of as Israel's inheritance. With the Lord as the rightful owner or landlord of the land, it had been gifted to Israel as God's chosen people, as their inheritance. Their very existence on that land was proof of their covenantal relationship with God. They were God's people on God's land. 
On the other hand, those who were aliens or foreigners were considered to be outside the covenant community of the Lord, and they could not own land or be considered part of Israel's kinship system, which was how the land and their inheritance was to be shared. So, in verse 2, the Israelite survivors lament. Our inheritance has been turned over to aliens, our homes to foreigners. This describes a terrible reversal. The very, our inheritance, the land itself, and our homes are now occupied by the very aliens and foreigners who were previously defined out of the community. The despised Babylonian outsiders are now inhabiting and controlling the very land that had previously been proof of Israel's identity as God's covenant people. The covenantal people of God are now crying out in horror as they have become outsiders and landless while still on the very land that had been their promised inheritance from the Lord. The Israelite remnant is voicing their deep, heartfelt confusion and pain due to their expectations being overturned and crying out to God to remember them. Our loss and our confusion may look different and have different causes, but we too know what it is to feel we have reason to cry out to God in sorrow as God's people during our time. As we read the cries of pain and confusions and lamentations, I wonder how you resonate, given the realities we have faced over the past year and a half alone. At the beginning of 2021, around New Year's Day, my social media feeds exploded with cries of, good riddance, 2020. We survived the dumpster fire. The last 20 months have been some of the most difficult in recent memory for many at least when seen from a national and a global perspective. To begin with the obvious, we all know that early in 2020, coronavirus spread across the world and in our communities, and it was soon declared a global pandemic. Throughout the world and in our communities, we lost and we continue to lose loved ones and friends to the coronavirus. I cannot and will not list all of the things we've lost, all the things we might lament, the aspects of pre-COVID life that we longed for and that have been slowly returning, though I will name just a few tangible examples with more in the word cloud on the slide. Congregational singing and worshiping all together in a packed church. Hugging as a greeting or handshaking and hugging our grandchildren or our grandparents. Playdates and babysitters and evenings out. Being able to mark life milestones with big groups and shared food and packed into a room without masks. What has been the greatest sorrow for you during these COVID times? Add to these difficulties the massive economic upheaval, the impacts of the virus, especially on small businesses and the folks who own them, and on millions of people, probably including some of you, who have lost jobs or whose work has become exponentially more dangerous, like medical professionals or long-term care workers or grocery store clerks. 
Among the young adults with whom I work, many are struggling. Experiences of anxiety, depression, and suicide are continuing to rise because of the pandemic. And this is true across all age groups, not just among youth. So many of us are lonely. And I regularly recall a verse from Genesis 2, verse 18, when God sees Adam alone in the very good garden God created before the fall. And he says, it is not good for the humans to be alone. All this COVID-19 upheaval also highlights existing inequities and injustices, such as racism at home and abroad, and subsequent protests have expressed the lament and cries for justice of black, indigenous, and people of color that have been building for centuries. We had hoped that 2021 would bring rapid and widespread vaccination and a return to a new normal. And we can be grateful as vaccination rates continue to rise and hospitalization rates stay low. But now in various parts of Canada, communities are experiencing a fourth wave because of an uptick in cases of the very contagious variants. We are not in the promised new normal yet. And now, as the restrictions have continued for so long, many of us are stepping into this reopening phase with gratitude, but also absolutely exhausted and somewhat disillusioned. How long, O oh Lord? In addition to these communal sorrows, chances are most of us have also experienced deeply personal pain this year, perhaps unrelated to COVID such as maybe one of the following. Families torn apart by disagreement and conflict. The loss of a longed for baby through miscarriage or ongoing infertility or waiting for adoption. Painful differences of theology and practice emerging from the discussions of the Human Sexuality Report. A newly acknowledged addiction or an unacknowledged addiction, a cancer diagnosis. I've mentioned these examples of pain and loss not in order to make us all feel worse about ourselves or the state of the world, nor to ignore all the good we still have to be grateful to God for, nor so that we can share all the various people and circumstances we believe are to blame, which is something I sometimes want to do. No, instead of making us feel worse, I hope instead to give voice to our sorrow and to viscerally connect us with the circumstances of God's people in scripture, which can sometimes feel so ancient or unrelatable, extreme. But the feelings that the Israelites experienced in the destruction of Jerusalem and their subsequent suffering I believe we can all resonate with these in our lives and in the life of our world. I know that I can. All the sorrows and the sorrows of this past year and a half are just one moment in time when God's people have faced excruciating sorrow and are faced with a choice about how to go on. Can we bring all this pain to God and to each other? At first blush, today's text feels hopeless. 
In Lamentations, God's people do not hold back in bringing all their pain to God, and it is overwhelming. In much the same way the lists earlier, I listed earlier, were perhaps overwhelming. It appears that God's people end their communal lament by questioning whether God is going to remain faithful to them. See the final verses. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us for so long? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old. Unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. But here's the paradox. Hope is embedded in lament. For one thing, the very fact that the people are still crying out to God, calling on the Lord to see their suffering, to hear their cries, to pay attention to them, indicates at least a subtle trust in God's faithfulness. What characterizes this lament, and most of the lament psalms, is the confidence that the situation can be changed if God wills to intervene. Why cry out if you don't believe God is listening? Why ask for God's help if not because they are confident that God could indeed change their dire circumstances? Now take a closer look at verse 19. You, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. This verse is ultimately good news and the foundation for hope embedded within this particular lament. The Lord himself remains on the throne. The creator of heaven and earth rules all that takes place within them. God's kingdom transcends any physical building, like the temple, where Israel had previously come to experience God's presence. The question implied by the first verse of our text today remains unanswered by God in this text. Remember, O Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. So as verse 19 asserts, God is still on the throne, but the question remains, will God remember his people? There is hope, but not certainty, that it, and that is left hanging in this particular text. God does not actually speak in the book of Lamentations. But this Old Testament text is not the end of God's revelation through scripture. The story of God and his people continues. In the Gospels, we see that in the life and suffering, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's own son, we see that God has answered this hanging questions of Lamentations 5 definitively. Yes, I remember you. My people... In Christ, the promised Messiah, God fulfills his covenant with Israel and once again makes his home among his people. This time, not in a temple, but in the person of Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. And after Jesus' ascension to his Father, through the gift of his Holy Spirit, 
our comforter. To me, the most confusing part of today's text is the apparent contrast between verse 19 and 20. This paradox is hard to reconcile. In verse 19, we have the profession of faith, that God is sovereign and reigns forever, and that he has been and will be faithful to his people. And then immediately following in verse 20, the Israelites seem to ask a contradictory question. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Yet both can be true and faithful at the same time. In Lamentations 5, God's people live in this paradox. While it can be tempting to silence our or others' laments with hasty reminders of God's faithfulness and providence, the testimony of Scripture testifies of both confidence in God's ultimate redemption and God's people crying out to him in lament. Because... Through Jesus' life and suffering and resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ is both our source of hope and Jesus Christ is our God who was also fully human, who knew extreme suffering and pain on the cross. God can and will ultimately bring freedom from pain and suffering and in Christ's death and resurrection has done so. And at the same time, We can still cry out to him in pain, protest, and impatience in the midst of our present suffering and know that Jesus understands our suffering. What might it actually look like in our lives and in our churches and our communities for us to follow the example of Lamentations and bring all of ourselves to God? including our loss and our suffering and our hope. As I mentioned earlier, I led a few students in a small group on Lament last year. For our final hour together, I invited each young person present to compose their own lament and to share it with us. I asked for and was given permission from one of those students to share their lament with you. As a background, this particular student has struggled over the last few years with chronic pain and relentless migraines. Hear this lament. Oh Lord, hear me as I am. Oh Lord, come listen as I speak. Alone and abandoned, weak and ashamed, you have left me. I say you are my guide, but five years going forward, I feel unguided and alone. Is it fair that I call out and hear no response? Is it fair that I ask for you you for contentment and hear no reply? In my fear and worry, I feel you have left me. In my struggle and my shame, I sense none of your being. I fear the future, knowing that my declining health right now is only a glimpse into what could come. I am afraid at how desolate and alone I am in this, as no one around me can understand how deeply and physically I am hurt and in pain. But through this all, I know you are still there. Despite my feelings, I know you are still there. 
So, Lord, I ask you to make yourself known to me. I ask you to speak louder, clearer, and directly to me. I'm tired of fighting on my own, and I need your voice and hand to hold me. Lord, in you alone, I must trust. Lord, in you alone, my faith resides. You are the maker of all things, and I know your love for me withstands all. So hear me, Lord, today and always. I know I shall forever be your beloved child. In this lament, I hear echoes of the raw, honest, heartfelt cries of the Israelite remnant from Lamentations 5. And I also hear echoes of the laments in our personal and community lives. And at the same time, there's that paradox again, may we also hear the seeds of hope embedded within those cries, calling on our faithful God to see and to hear and to remain present in our lives, reminding us that as Christ's beloved, we are invited to bring all of ourselves to God and to each other. Thanks be to God for lament. Amen. Before I offer our prayer of application, I just want to note that I've included a slide here with some ideas of ways that you could practice lament in your own lives, with your families or on your own. My email address is also up there if you want to contact me about anything you've heard or if you're interested in sharing with some, someone in your life about Guelph Campus Ministry. People of God, let us pray. Oh Lord, how long? How long must we remain apart from each other out of love for our neighbors? How long until we will hug and sing and play close together again? How long before we will truly love you above all else and love our neighbor as ourselves? Look on us and answer, O oh God. Hear our cries. You are the Lord and there is no other. Our trust is in you. Remind us of your unfailing love for your people. Show us your mercy that has no end. May we rejoice that your grace is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen.